back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining me again today. Tonight, I will be speaking on the subject of empowerment, which basically means self-empowerment, in the domains of politics and social enterprise, that is, social enterprise business ventures. That's the name given these days to enterprises that have a social consciousness, a social conscience, humane values, eco-friendly values and principles that are applied to the way the business is conducted. In fact, I dare say that if we had all along maintained those humane values, ethical principles, and eco-friendly standards throughout the entirety of the Industrial Revolution, or at least sometime shortly thereafter, then we would not have the global warming mess that we are in today. We wouldn't have as difficult a political stress as we have today because we would not be dealing with the intensity of issues around pollution, water and air, soil contamination, and all of it aggregated into this thing called global warming, which is contributing seriously to climate change. Now, I know that is a hot potato, believe it or not, despite the evidence, even from such enterprises, I wish I could say social enterprises, as ExxonMobil, who back in the 70s, yes, the 1970s, had their research scientists looking into the effects of major uh, fossil fuel production and resulting emissions. And they found among themselves how deleterious the use of fossil fuels ongoingly, consistently, persistently on our environment was. They knew it full out how our air our entire environment would be damaged with the excess amount of carbon dioxide, in fact also carbon monoxide, <clears throat> and other what are now called greenhouse gases, warming up our environment, getting trapped in our atmosphere, and the way I really look at it is creating a major disproportionate relationship between the CO2 and the O2 balance because, so silly, one of the bizarre things that has happened is the appearance of the demonization of CO2. It's absurd. CO2 is the absolute natural, biological, ecosystemic complement to O2. <clears throat> one is breathed in by us, the other breathed in by plants and trees. So, nothing wrong with it at all. It is utterly, completely a required biological nutrient. The issue is not that. 
the issue is the vast disproportion that has occurred as a result of industrial development and industrial development not using uh, sustainable, replenishable, renewable energy sources, but rather uh, fossil fuels, hydrocarbons. And that is what tilted the scale. Now, let's say that even way back in the uh, early 19th century, we really did not have the science to show us what effects uh, intense amounts of coal would produce. You know, think uh, England's Charles Dickens days, you know. We didn't have that technology. We didn't have the science. But you know what we did have? We had our nose, we had our ears, we had our eyes, and we could see the soot, of course. We could smell it. We could feel the grit. And our senses, the best computer in the world, knew something was awry. Something had run afoul and smelled afoul. So why is it that we couldn't believe our senses that were showing us that somehow we were creating an imbalance? Well, you know, things haven't changed in certain ways that much. And the Industrial Revolution put so much money in pockets that uh, they really weren't going to be asking these other questions. It's sort of like, make the loot now, ask questions later. And what do we see? But, you know, some 150, 200 years later, it's the same old song. The narrative keeps playing out and unfolding, yet today we have the science full out about what is going on chemically to our atmosphere as a result of the use of hydrocarbon fuel. And still, not a whole lot has been done to match the seriousness of the situation. Truly, tremendous steps have been made, and I'm bearing witness to them in my work through A Better World, Thankfully, I could say that I see that there are technologies developing. I see that there is uh, an intense amount of investment in solar and wind and geothermal and microhydroelectric plants <clears throat> and technologies, and it is fantastic. And I know because I'm dealing with the CEOs of companies that are operating these technologies all over the United States and, in fact, all over the world. And I'm dealing with uh, people connected to both presidents and ministers of energy who are hungering to go renewable. And they're not getting rid of their current reliance on hydrocarbon fuels, fossil fuels, right this minute, no, no. But they are very interested and oftentimes committed to shifting the proportions, I mean like today, truly committed and much investment money is going into this direction. 
So I myself personally and professionally am bearing witness to an excellent type of revolution, if you want to think about it, or I'd prefer to think of it as a very natural and organic evolution in thinking. You want to call it consciousness? Great. Thinking is taking place, reflection on what we have done, the damage that we have caused, and people are in business and some in government rising up. They are stepping up to the plate and they are dealing with these issues truly head on. And I am honestly gratified to see. Now, you could make the point, and it's a good one, this is a race against time. The damage that we have done over the last 200 or so years in versus the damage we are seeking to reverse by the change in our practices and habits. And what's going to win? I mean, it's pretty clear that we have passed a series of tipping points already. And even if we were able to reduce the carbon footprint today or in the next three or six or nine or 12 or 15 or 18 or 24 months or 36 months, we're never going to return to the more pristine position we are, we're in vis-a-vis nature and biological and ecosystems. It's just, it's not in the cards. It's not going to happen. At the same time, there can be a slowing down of a process that is in motion. You know, the uh, melting of the ice caps north and south, which is happening at an accelerated and actually unpredictable, precipitous rate, enough to alarm any thinking, caring, feeling person. Alarm is the appropriate response. Red alarm, you know, the light blinking quickly. Do something now. Or, if you can, do something yesterday. So, oh no, we're absolutely in that crunch, and no mistake should be made about that. Are there concerted efforts worldwide to uh, match certain standards that say 350.org and other organizations, including COP21, have articulated? Uh, maybe not enough or certainly not enough. But that does not negate that there are initiatives happening all over the world and they are going to accrue for the good. And surely you could leave this part of this evening's conversation saying, is it going to be enough in time? And that is not only valid, that's the appropriate question to ask. I can only say that in terms of what a Better World Foundation is doing, uh, I am and we are making accelerated leaps as best we can to bring onto line uh, renewable energies. Uh, Right now, uh, we're looking at 
some projects, for instance, in Mexico that are very water short because one of the technologies with which I am dealing involves providing battery storage for renewable energies, without which, by the way, renewable energies cannot grow sufficiently to replace fossil fuel, and providing either purified or desalinated water in places that are water deficient. Right now, there are places in uh, Sonora, in Baja, for instance, among several others, that are rationed water and sometimes rationed electricity, all of which can be remedied. Yes, can be remedied. Now, there are other measures that need to be taken in the domain of conservation that I think are simply needed. I think industrial reliance on water is something that should be curtailed because massive industry is something I think needs to be shrunk down to human scale <laughs> instead of massive global size. Uh, that's another part of tonight's conversation. You could say uh, small is beautiful. <laughs> we know that phrase, don't we? And also <clears throat> just the idea of building out local economies instead of the massive-sized corporations that we have today that are monolithic and create enormous problems. They are bureaucratic, they are hierarchical, they move very slowly, they are not nimble, and they are not actually able to provide what it is I personally believe we need, which is small, local, ma-and-pa type of businesses that run the local economic machinery and food production and water supply and energy production can be done, it can be localized, and while there will be a global system of some sort in place now that we are internetized and all of that, that is no going back from that really, most likely, and I'm not sure it would even be desirable, but the execution of economies can be shrunken down the shrunken economy. Yes, indeed. There is something called the steady state economy, which is an idea that I kind of cooked up myself through my own thinking and uh, intuition, and I've had that verified and corroborated by others, including someone who reads our newsletter, a Better World newsletter, and uh, thankfully she wrote to me and told me about an entire movement inside economics that I knew nothing about. I'm not an economist. I'm just think and care and put those two together and it came out with this idea of a sustainable economy, that one that does not grow much and it doesn't shrink much. It just kind of stays on course, you know, and maybe it grows by uh, a couple percentage points and then it diminishes by a couple points year by year. And the point is, who cares? It doesn't matter. 
virtually the same number of people remain employed, virtually the same amount of product is sold, and virtually we keep together the basic nuts and bolts of a running, operating, serving the people type of economy. And this idea that it must expand or die is complete nonsense and yet is one that has been governing economic thinking for many, many decades. And I feel funny because the last thing I am is an economist. Yet, it just made plain old common sense to me that there is a kind of a, a, a steady, stable plane of economics that just can provide as it has always provided. And swings and cycles always occurs. No problem if it's not drastic. So this idea of growing or bust is a complete fiction in reality. It's just a complete fiction that we have all bought into and it is destabilizing our entire national and international global economies. So for um, a little later, uh, but just to put that on the table, I wanted to do so. So at base to everything really is the issue. I mean, there's one huge issue and lots of sub-issues as a result. And I would say the main issue with which we are dealing uh, as, uh, as a planet is what we're doing to the planet and as a result doing to each other. And that has to do with pollution, contamination, the uh, exploitation of what of Mother Nature, which we refer to as the home of our resources, our natural resources, when in fact it is part of our abundance here on this beautiful planet to be enjoyed by all, not a handful of people, you know, the so-called 1% elite. No, 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 no. At the expense of others. It's just it's 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 irrational. It's selfish, which is irrational. It's thoughtless and it's wrong. It's pretty straightforward. I think I made myself clear. It's wrong. Why not? have everyone enjoy the abundance of Mother Earth. It shouldn't be set aside for the few and and gotten only through very hazardous, toxic, poisonous means. Chemicals that burn through uh, ore and the like. I mean, just God. There's just other ways to go about and if it's going to be toxic, don't do it. And if you can figure out a way to do it non-toxically, consider it. As well as, as long as you're considering all of the people who live and are around those resources, gold, silver, whatever it may be. Just different kinds of thinking about what we're dealing with. So, you know, if we keep going along this line, we are going to come to uh, look at the political landscape. Ugh, are you kidding, Mitch? Are we really going to talk about that? Well, yeah, 
we have to because I think that most thinking people in our country, most people with a heart and brain that work at all in unison are deeply, deeply disturbed by the type of conversation that is dominating our media airwaves, which, believe it or not, are owned by us, not by CBS, NBC, ABC, all of them. No, no, no. They license them. They rent them. But where's that money going? Gee, have you seen any? I haven't. And they have bought license also for abuse of the airwaves. There isn't a proper, let's say, respect for the listeners and viewers from these airwaves. I feel that we are not only insulted, but further assaulted by the nonsense that is aired on our waves. And of course, I'm referring to the two main candidates who are just so coarse and so deceitful and deceptive that it boggles the mind that the United States populace could have stooped so low to have these two acting as our best nominees. They are not. It is a fixed job in so many ways. In fact, Bernie Sanders would have handily won the Democratic nomination for president if it weren't for some very, very uh, sick, inappropriate, fallacious, and unethical practices. Practices not a one-off practices by the DNC that insulted our intelligence like we didn't know it was happening. We knew all along, Bernie knew, that they had a fix in against him. And, of course, it came out, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz was found to be the guilty party as the chairman chairwoman of the DNC and she got her hand slapped hand slapped that's how corrupt the system is and Bernie lost the nomination and then he conceded in a way that I felt sick to my stomach about and I was deeply saddened by, as were millions of Americans when he stepped down. And then, as if that weren't enough, he threw his vote and support to Hillary. Well, what were his choices, you could ask? I'm glad you asked. Surely you could realize that the next appropriate candidate would have been Jill Stein of the Green Party. Jill, who we had on here just last week, again uh, earlier in April, and then again prior to that, back in 2012. 
when she first ran for president in the Green Party as their nominee, as their candidate. So she is, I like to say, Bernie squared, if not cubed. (laughs) She goes a lot further than Bernie did. But Bernie was loved. Bernie was respected. Bernie was appreciated. Bernie was the voice of many millions of people, way more than either of these other two candidates who have together formed a circus, somewhere between a circus and a zoo, I'm very sorry to say, both of whom are mocking, I feel, my opinion, mocking the American people with their deceptions uh, and trying to pull the wool over our eyes like we do not see what we see. Just like back in Dickens' day, they knew the pollution was sickening them and leading to black lung and TB and asthma and any number of other respiratory conditions and other skin conditions, etc., They didn't need science to tell them. Later, we, of course, have the science. But our own inner computer knows full well through our senses we were off track when it comes to the natural world. So, too, we could smell a rat both in the Republican and Democratic parties. If the way you're winning a nomination is by insulting colleagues, by bullying them on stage, debate after debate, and everything in between, with name-calling, name-calling. When was the last time you were upbraided for name-calling? Were you eight or nine years old or five or six? I dare say that by age nine or ten, you had pretty much given up that practice, even if you were a bully in the schoolyard. It's not something you persist with into adulthood. Or if there is a an occasional, you know, loose-lipped statement here and there. It's done with some sense of contrition and apology to follow to both the other and even to one's higher self. So let's get real. And guys, do not talk like that locker room nonsense we were told about. That's not what guys do. Guys may think any number of different things, that's for sure, and some act in certain ways, that's for sure too. You know, we are only human. However, this is not license for insulting our higher gender, which of course is womankind. You know, it's just insane, and man should not be let off the hook by a a phrase such as it's only locker room talk because it was not. It was way more than that and everybody knows it. 
And on the Democratic side, let's not kid ourselves. We know there's an agenda afoot. All anybody had to do is look at Hillary Clinton's face during the debates with Bernie Sanders, and she was wincing every time he spoke because he had the attention of the people, and he was speaking truth to power. And even though she sought to align herself with what he was saying, there was something inside her that was like fingers on a chalkboard. Oof, I don't want to swallow that bill, she said when it came to such things as re uh, um, of reinstating the Glass-Steagall Act, which it was her own husband who rescinded it in around 1998 or 1999. Pardon me, I forget the exact uh, date or uh, year, but it was around there. So it was sickening to her to have to step into the space where she was saying, yes, Bernie, we agree, we agree, when in her heart she does not. At the end of the day, do I think that she has a heart and she really does care about a lot of people and maybe especially children? I do. I mean, after all, she is a woman and she is a grandmother and a mother. So, however, this is where we get back ultimately to the mind and the way the mind compartmentalizes different aspects of self. Mr. George Ivanovich Gurdjieff used to call these sub-personalities. And they don't know each other, by and large. They do not know each other. They are not well acquainted, which means that a part of Hillary Clinton may be a very good, kind, and loving person to her daughter, maybe some ways, to her husband, to her mother, to others, to children, but she can cut that off and decide to go to war against Libya, against Iraq, against Honduras, and no doubt next will be, in some way, Syria and Russia, and who knows where it will stop. And there is ample evidence to indicate that that is what would be our future with her leadership. Should we cry now or wait? Okay, a word of announcement. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thank you so much for joining. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight or Standard Time. I love when you come and join and listen, whether it's live or, as most of you do, listen in archive. It's delightful to have your attention on these subjects, and I would invite you to please write to me, email me, at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. Share with me your thoughts about these subjects. Do you think I am correct in my assessments? Do you think I'm off base? Or you can recommend other uh, guests and subjects for other shows. I'm always open and interested in your questions 
and your commentary. So, we also have a Better World TV here, community cable television in Manhattan, the Big Apple, New York City, every Monday at 7 p.m. And from 7 to just almost 7.30, to 28-minute show. And you can also, if you do not live in Manhattan, watch from any other borough, from any other state, from any other country by going to our website, abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.net, or abetterworld.tv. And at the top, it says, click here to watch, and voila, click through. There will be another chance to click, and you will be there. You will be with us at A Better World on TV, as well as here on radio. So I just so appreciate your uh, joining me and listening in and sharing with me. Through email is the best, and some people do it by Facebook, but my main way of communicating, besides the airwaves, is by email. So, and if you do not yet get our newsletter, please sign up for it. It's free at the uh, website. BetterWorld.tv. Also, by the way, we've got some very cool things there, and we also appreciate we've got the newsletters that are all listed right there. Under newsletter, you've got Radio Archive, all for free. We've got the TV shows there, too, which are um, streamed for, I think, it's like three ninety nine for a month. I mean, it doesn't get better. Well, we also have an Amazon store at the store link that you can click on, and for about 20 bucks um, plus shipping, you can get a DVD of a lot of our shows. So uh, I just wanted to share that with you so you can partake of what we have. Now, a little musical moment, and I'll be right back to continue the conversation. Let me go first down and sad, and then we'll go up and smiley face, okay? If you haven't yet seen the film Snowden, certainly you see it. It really shows you uh, how our government is not acting on our own behalf, that it has developed its own belief system, its own ideology of who the United States is and who it should be as what they call the single superpower in the world, which I don't believe is true at all, but let's just abide by that for a moment, and what it needs to do, 900 military bases 
in order to protect the world from itself and certainly to protect us from it as well. Ah, also to, by the way, mine whatever resources anywhere in the world we would want. And no one is there, should be there, to stop us. Because might wins over. So what is it? Brawn over brain. Well, not a good way to uh, operate or to think. Yet, that is what the United States government's ideology, quietly but obviously, has been for quite some time, probably arguably since the early to mid-40s with um, the completion, pretty much, of World War II. Which, by the way, was supposed to be the last war. Whoops, sorry. World War I, the so-called Great War, was supposed to be the end of war. It was so horrendous. It was so bloody. It was so saddening. So many people died, young men especially, and women, so foolishly and needlessly that they called it the Great War, as in the war to end all wars. What happened? Well, that's what President and General Eisenhower called the upsurgence of the military-industrial complex. So Snowden will give you a very modern view of how technology has penetrated, not just crept into, but has penetrated our lives in ways that are completely unconstitutional, and what has happened to the whistleblowers uh, that have sought to remain and sustain the Constitution, remain inside of its tenets, uh, but when the NSA and CIA and FBI decided to step outside of them, what happened to these poor people, Drake, Binney, and others, including up to Snowden? And if you haven't seen Why We Fight, a bit of an older film, um, but no less will show you the ideological basis for what is going on today. And it cites the project for the new American century. And it shows you what the game plan is, what countries are going to be attacked, in what order, basically, and why. So when you see this document and you understand what's underneath the trajectory of the Pentagon in conjunction with the other branches of government, you look at all that is going on today with different eyes. And you listen to the media altogether differently because you see that they are selling a lie just like we were sold a lie for why we should 
declare a preemptive illegal war on Iraq, so too are lies that have been following ever since, ever since. So these are just some of the points I wanted to make about how much our government has strayed for being for the people, constitutional government, but it has become a government for itself and for the corporatocracy. That is, the people who see government essentially as their own private cash register because there are so many hundreds of thousands of contractors doing government business in the security business, in every business across the board. Others, like Alec, are simply writing, writing the legislation on local, state, and federal levels. They just write the legislation for the, our representatives in Congress. They just draft the legislation and hand it to them and say, basically, here are your marching orders. Yep, it's true. And it is all documentable. It's all documented, I'm sorry. You can see this. Just do a little Google search and you will understand exactly what I mean. The American Legislative Executive Council. And it only came to light only a few years ago. It was really well kept, kept secret. Anyway, thank God for heroes like Snowden who were willing to come forth as a call back to the true United States of America as a constitutional government serving we the people instead of the renegade government that we have that is declaring war all over the world that has set up eight to 900 military bases all over the world that has kept the uh, nuclear arsenal intact, poised toward uh, what are considered unfriendly people Nations such as Russia, what a crock, what a crock. The world is as you make it, my friends. And if they want to have an enemy, they've got an enemy. And if they want to have a friend, they can have a friend. The rest is just hocus pocus. It's all deliberately done to sell weapons and maintain control. And... You really should know this by now. This is old news because it reverts back to the way human beings are. It reverts back to the fear-based mind, the fear-based reptilian brain that is way too much in control. There isn't enough inner silence, enough meditation. I know that may sound funny. There's not enough chikung. There's not enough slowing down and looking and feeling and living from the heart. There is self-interested, egoically based confusion and ignorance, really sought after ignorance, if you can believe it, a wish and a will to not know the full truth. Because the full truth is that people want to cooperate. People love helping each other out. People by and large, love diversity. 
if they're smart and if they know biology, they're going to sure welcome diversity for the sake of the species. This is Darwinian. This is beyond Darwin. This is literally survival of the species requires biodiversity. So when you really start to get a handle on this is all a big makeup game. Game, you say? Game, some game. Yeah, it's called Monopoly, folks. A game we were all brought up with to love. Yeah, it's just real-world Monopoly, and they are controlling everything. Except, and this is where I turn the page for this page-turner of a novel, except what we get behind. We, the people, still have a voice, even what appears to be a highly controlled world. There is a lot of control, but you know, you cannot control all people. You cannot control thousands of acres of beautiful open land. You cannot control all animals. You can't do it. It cannot happen. And these cracks in the cement where a beautiful little flower grows is our hope. There still is a government with representatives of our choosing. And even if we don't feel good about who it is that wins the presidency or any other seat, we still have our voice and, in fact, they listen. They have to listen, and they do listen, because they do want votes, and they do want to be approved of, and they don't want to be blacklisted, and they don't want to be blackballed. There are ways with media, with the Internet, etc., to really blow the whistle on those representatives who utterly, completely eschew us, we the people, they're our public servants. If they step too far out of line, in reality, we can make life miserable for them. But let's not go that far. Let's just say they need some education, and it is up to us to give them the education about such things as climate change, as social justice, as the criminal justice system, which is completely unjust and criminal, of private prisons, of the industrial, I mean, sorry, militarization of our police force. All of these things are completely insane, unjust, self-interested, egoic, and controlling in ways that we, the people, do not appreciate, do not want. And through our sustained voices in the public places, in the commons, they will be listened to. Where we shop, what we buy, how much money we spend, our making Economic choices is another way of voting daily. What we eat, all of us, the clothes we buy, everything, in fact, 
is a form of vote. And if we can coalesce as we the people, we have an effect. One of the people that I have had on this show that I champion is Sam Daly Harris, who wrote a book called Reclaiming Our Democracy. And he was on, you can go back in our uh, search engine at abetterworld.tv and you can dig it out and see and listen, I should say, for yourself to the rules of the road, the rules of engagement. He lays them out, how to reach your congressman or woman, uh, of which thankfully there are more of than ever, uh, your senators and president and others, and local, state, federal, and make your voice heard, and how to set up meetings with them, and sit down and face them, belly to belly, and share with them your, our points of view to make a difference, and to sway and influence the tide. It is so much against us, I mean, it's so obvious. Look what's going on at Standing Rock right now, and God bless Amy Goodman, who went out there, who was uh, charged with criminal trespassing. How can you criminally trespass on Indian land when the Indian peoples and nations were welcoming her and everyone else of similar heart who wanted to be there to uphold and support the removal of the pipeline and the stopping the destruction that it would bring. Huh? How could that be criminal trespassing? Number one, these were treaties, if I'm not mistaken, signed originally in 1851, slightly amended thereafter, but the land remained Native American land. So who are the authorities who come in and decide they're going to build a pipeline there? I mean, technically, legally, they do not have the authority. But they are so accustomed to breaking the law and breaking treaties, especially with the Native people, for centuries when it is convenient for the white man to do so. It's unbelievable. And I just don't understand why there aren't lawyers who on that basis are defending the native peoples of our country. I would so, so love to see that. But instead, they dropped those charges and replaced them with uh, a charge of, you know, helping to foster, facilitate, um, foment riots. But there were no riots. There was people, there was peaceful assemblage, assembly um, and prayer. That's it. And it's all very well documented. The only people uh, that, were, um, that were inciting riots were the so-called security police for the pipeline company with dogs. Well, this is madness. And do you see this covered at all in the media? No, you don't. But God bless Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! and others that have covered this subject 
and brought the truth to bear on this subject. So, what am I saying? The work of Sam Daly Harris and others reclaiming our democracy, there are ways to do it. By the way, we can write directly to the companies that are offending our native people and all of us through their madness, jeopardizing our water, jeopardizing sacred land, burial grounds no less. And, in fact, you can ultimately take solace that we still have enough of a democracy that enough of our constitution remains intact, that we can speak up and speak loud and be diligent about getting our message across to our representatives. And if they do not want to listen, we have ways of publicizing they're not listening. It's brilliant. So I'm saying all of this because I talked about at the beginning of the show, empowerment around politics. So from this point of view, it doesn't matter who wins. Each one is scary in his or her own right, obviously. A Jill Stein win would change that game. It's not looking so good. You know, let's be honest. The media just doesn't give her the airtime. The Commission on Presidential Debates won't consider giving her or Gary Johnson, or there's another, uh, McMullen, I think his name is, Conservative Party representative out, I believe, in Utah. Interesting guy, too. He has a voice as well. And the Commission on Presidential Debates will make sure no one gets in since the League of Women Voters allowed in Ross Perot and shook things up big time because that's what third-party candidates would do. They're the most intelligent of them all. John Hagelin, quantum physicist from Harvard, Jill Stein, physician MD from Harvard, uh, Ross Perot, a real billionaire, smart, caring, thoughtful people in the world. what we're dealing with folks we can speak up and we need to speak up it is incumbent upon us and we need to obviously change our ways and that's where you will see people changing their habits long time habits of how we think of how we eat of how we sleep of the consumption practices, habits that we have, the change is slow, the change is gradual. In fact, I would say it's way too gradual. But there is an overall, look on the macro level, an overall awakening of spirit, awakening of consciousness, and an evolution. It's way, way slower than I ever had any idea Um, It's scary, and there's a devolution happening at the same time as evolution. The kids hardly even know the names of their representatives in office. Some don't even know the name of the vice president. And, you know, if you remember, um, Jay, uh, 
the uh, comedian. Oh, God. His last name is escaping me. That's so silly. Of The Tonight Show. Uh, would go out and um, interview people on the street and ask them these silly questions um, like who is the vice president or where is Australia or where is Mexico or Colombia. They say, I think it's over there. I'm not sure. I think his name might be, is it Biden? Not sure. Or was that the last one? This kind of madness dominates our young people today. It's scary. So, what can we do about this? We better do a lot. So, I say, vote for Jill Stein. That's what I say. And, oh, I know the arguments, the discussions. I've discussed it here already. And it's, uh, you know, the Ralph Nader syndrome and People really need to get educated, and Ralph himself has been eloquent on the subject of saying, well, the Democratic Party just wasn't sufficient to keeping the uh, vote inside the Democratic Party, apparently. And, in fact, there were two or 300,000 Democrats who voted for Bush. If you really want to go there, we have to really visit Greg Palast because he's really got the last word on that election, which is that it was completely fixed and illegal, and the Supreme Court appointed a president. There was no elected president with George W. Bush. We all know it, and it can be proven. And Greg Palast, in his book, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, proved it don't believe me no problem go read it you will see on jeb bush letterhead a letter to secretary of state katherine harris instructions for deleting the names of usually black men and democrats from the voting rolls And that's just one small part of the whole bloody picture. Anyway, we come full circle to say that uh, in the book of um, uh, the name of the author of the ecology of commerce made it clear in a beautiful Pachamama Alliance video clip that was taken from his talk at Bioneers was saying that there are literally millions of organizations, NGOs, and Uh, social enterprise companies, often B corporations and 501c3s that are doing the work that needs to be done. Paul Hawken. And here we see people on the ground, not boots on the ground, people on the ground, usually barefoot, doing extraordinary work to 
replenish our organic food supply, bring water into areas that are currently deficient. Uh, one lovely fellow I met at a retreat this past summer is working all over Southeast Asia to fashion water filtration systems out of local materials using clay and the like and teaching the locals how to do that so they can drink potable water with local resources. I mean, this is just a wee bit of what is going on in our world, and it's fantastic. So I want to leave you all on and with I want to leave you on a positive note and leave you with a sense of hope, a true sense of hope. And I know that what we're looking at is ugly. It is ugly and it is dark. However, seeing the dark, real warriors step up to the plate and do what needs to be done on the micro and macro levels each to his or her own calling. So I really want to emphasize that if we dig in our heels, barefoot or otherwise, we can really make a difference. And when we have that psychological perspective, magic happens, my friends. And the way, the reason I think the world looks the way it looks right now, as I've actually shared with you all many a time, is because the people who feel they need to amass immense wealth at any expense, meaning profit before people and planets, are the people with the smallest uh, hands. Yes, people who feel horribly insecure, people who do not feel most deeply loved and nourished and nurtured in their own families of origin, be it because of their parents or their siblings, or in early school they were traumatized in school by bad teachers, or if not bad teachers, their interpretation of what the teacher or the parent or the sibling said to them or felt about them, and they came into life with a chip on their shoulder, with a sense of resentment, and then engage some sense of revenge. And they live a life of contempt for others, even if it's uh, deeply seated, and an elitist attitude, and making up for, compensating for, this deep-seated self-loathing, or self-contempt, so it gets projected outward. There is a psychology to people who do destruction, whether it's you know a one-on-one -on -one murder or it's massive global murder of our environment and engaging destructive practices. So we can turn that around. And yes, from the point of view the emotional point of view, because we're emotional beings. We're emotional creatures. We live out of our emotions, by and large. So if we wed our emotional life with our intellectual life, with our spiritual intelligence, 
we can actually begin to make headway. And some of us have made rather good headway in our lives. And even if we have those negative, even traumatic imprints from way back, even prenatally, we are not our body, we are not our emotions, we are not our thoughts. We can stand, who is it that observes all of these things? That's our friend. That's our creative spirit that stands outside the inner drama and says, okay, I'm going to let go of this, I'm going to let go of that, I'm not going to be governed by this, I'm not going to be governed by that, I'm going to create and shape a world for the good of all sentient beings. And that's the kind of world we can collectively shape and honor. So from that point of view, my friends, there is tremendous hope because we really can turn that corner about being negatively imprinted and build new neural nets that we can engage and continue to shape and build and strengthen to create, that's it, a better world, my refrain. So on that note, thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate your attention and thoughtfulness about these subjects. I invite you, again, to write to me at mjr at abetterworld.net MJR, my initials, at abetterworld.net. Visit our website, abetterworld.tv. Or if you are interested in any of my services, creative consulting, both uh, corporate, business, and personal, macro to micro, stress management, business, communication, coaching, go to www.mitchellrabin.com M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N dot com Just keep the faith. (laughs) Keep the faith. Please know also that A Better World is a non-profit 501c3 and our way of sustaining our work on the airwaves is with your help and generosity and your investment in a better world. So we invite you to please invest in a better world. And there is a donate button on the front of our website, on the home page, or if it's a bigger donation, and these are tax-deductible folks, please write to me at mjr at betterworld.net to make such arrangements. Please remember us in life and beyond. Thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you all next time.